Hey guys, and welcome to the Pacing Racing Podcast, the Canadian triathlon podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. Now, today's guest is Canadian professional triathlete, Rachel McBride. Now, I'm excited to talk to Rachel today because she just finished up her race at Ironman Montremblant 7.3 yesterday, and in a couple days from now, she'll be leaving Canada and flying out to Germany, where she'll be gearing up for a shot at the podium for 2019 Challenge Roth. Now, Rachel is a multiple Ironman 7.3 champion with numerous podiums and course records across several distances of the sport. Now, known as the Purple Tiger, she's one of the most strongest cyclists on the world circuit with multiple bike splits through Ironman. Now, what's fascinating about Rachel is that she was named the most interesting woman in triathlon by TRS Radio as she's a board-certified genetic counselor with two graduate degrees in genetics. Now, she's also an accomplished cellist and works in sexual health education, counseling, and advocacy. So in today's episode, you'll hear a bit about her backstory and what got Rachel hooked in triathlon, and you'll hear some great training tips and truly learn about her mindset and determination in the sport. Now, we also highlight her experiences at Ironman Mont-Tremblant 70.3 and her thoughts, feelings, and expectations leading into Challenge Roth in just a couple of weeks. Now, this is a really awesome episode to be part of. And remember, guys, that draw for the Challenge Roth 2020 race entry and free homestay is still on, and it goes on until July 2nd at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, to enter this giveaway, head to the Instagram page at pacing.and.racing and comment on the giveaway post stating why you would love to race in Roth and also tag two friends, and then click the link in my Instagram bio to take you to the giveaway contest page where you can earn several extra entries. Now, this giveaway will be announced July 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern time for one winner. Now, guys, enjoy the podcast with Rachel McBride, and now let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by two sponsors. The first is First Endurance Canada, who just so happen to offer a 20% one-time discount to our listeners if they want to try the products. So it's super awesome of them to do that. So guys, if you want to stock up on some of the product, then head to firstendurance.ca, use promo code pacing and racing. This is valid until the end of August, so definitely take a chance and try out some of their product. Now a little bit about them. Now, First Endurance is actually one of the best nutrition brands out there on the market today, so I'm beyond humbled to get to represent them and you know use their products for my racing, training, and also pretty much everyday life. So, I mean, first off, not only are they a supporter of the Pace Racing Podcast, but they're also huge supporters of some amazing First Endurance triathletes like Jackson Laundry, Taylor Reed, Sam Long, The Wirtels, and so many more. Now, for those who have been keeping up with me on Instagram, you'll know that I've been wrapped up on the Eagleman 70.3 as I use both the EFS Pro and the EFS Liquid Shots for the bike. And also use the EFS liquid shots on the run. And I was thrilled to finally have the nutrition plan completely dialed in. So if you head to First Endurance Canada's website or Instagram, you can check out some of the First Endurance products like their Ultrogen Recovery Drinks or their EFS liquid shots and EFS electrolytes mix and more. Now, it's not only on-course products they offer. Now, they also have products for everyday life like the Multi-V Pro tablets and their Optogen HP tablets designed in mind for the endurance athletes and the demands of our bodies and training. Now, they also offer vegan products and so much more, guys, so check them out. I recently posted a video about my on-course nutrition strategy with EFS Pro and the EFS Liquid Shots, so you can check that out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And soon, I'll be doing another video explaining all the benefits of the Multivitamin Pro and the Optogen HP tablet, so definitely keep on the lookout for that video. And if you guys want to learn more about the First Endurance Canada, you can find them on Instagram by searching at First Endurance CAD or on Facebook by searching First Endurance Canada. Now, the second show sponsor for today's episode is Normatech Recovery Systems. Now, one of the perks of this podcast is I get to speak with so many professional triathletes to find better ways that age groupers can improve their training and, you know, be the best form of themselves in the sport. 
Now, one of the most common paradigms I drew amongst many of these pros is that not only are they very disciplined when it comes to their training and nutrition, but I think it's most importantly that they were disciplined in proper recovery after workouts or races. So one of the pieces of equipment that so many of them were using were the Normatec recovery systems. So after a lot of discussion on it and after a ton of research, I'm happy to say I now have a set of the Normatec Pulse 2.0 leg recovery system and I could not be happier with it. Now, the benefits of using Normatec, which originally sold me on the product, was that it enhances the body's natural ability to recover. You know, it increases circulation and reduces that muscle pain and soreness you get after your workouts and especially the day after. And overall, it rejuvenates your muscles after hard days of work. Now, I vividly remember the conversation in the podcast episode I had with pro triathlete Frank Sorbera, where he said out of all the things you could spend your money on in triathlon, that the Normatecs were probably one of the things he found made the most difference in his career over any single other product. And when you think about it, it makes total sense. Because of course, it's not going to make you more arrow on the bike or add any extra watts or anything like that. But what it will do is it'll allow you to train harder, recover quicker, and look after your muscles better, which I mean, overall pays dividends on race day. So Normatec offers a ton of product options, including systems for your legs, arms, your hips, even full body. So definitely go ahead, check them out. And you'll definitely hear me preach a lot about them because I'm a big fan of working smarter, not harder in triathlon. Now I'll be making an overall review video for this Pulse 2.0 recovery system. So definitely keep an eye out on the Pace Racing YouTube channel. But until then, if you want to learn more about these, you can check them out at normatecrecovery.com or you can find them on Instagram at NT Recovery. And you can check them out on Facebook as well by searching Normatec Recovery. And just to clarify, guys, Normatec is spelled N-O-R-M-A-T-E-C. So Rachel McBride, welcome to Ace Racing Podcast. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, no worries. And obviously, thanks so much for coming on the show. And we're super happy to have you on here today. And before we dive into all the questions, I mean, how things been? Like We're just saying that we just wrapped up Ironman Montreal 70.3 yesterday. So how's things kind of going there? Yeah, gosh, you know, my, um, my season's not off to a very good start, and uh, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit. But uh, <laughs> this this last race was uh was the was my was three out of three for not being great um i actually ended up with in my career my first ever penalty which um (laughs) you know it uh it is what it is it is uh, a decision that the refs make uh made i have to you know stand by that there's nothing else i can do um i will go on the record to say that i don't agree with it but uh I feel like I was racing honestly, but, um, yeah, that's what happened. And it's put sort of put a damper on, on the race yesterday, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to Roth. You know, it's a, it's an incredible race and I'm feeling super fit and ready for it. Well, that's it. So that's a good way of kind of looking at it. Right. And, and, you know, everyone kind of has that, that day or that race that they just weren't super happy about. I mean, obviously you did really well all despite all things considering, but I, I know by the sounds of it, you felt you had much more to give in that, I guess, in that case. So so that was good. Have you raced 70.3 Montreal quite a bit before? Or? Uh, just last year. Um, I was here last year. I was second last year. And uh, then I, my first time in Montreal was actually when 70.3 Worlds was here. Um, I think that was 2013 or 14, uh, 2014. And, uh, and I just fell in love with the place really when I raced here. And so it's been a dream to come back for a long time. And so I'm, uh, you know, they, the whole city is just incredible. They really support the race. The whole town comes out for the race. 
Uh, there's so much community support and the race organizers uh, and everyone who works the race here is just, uh, they really treat the athletes with a lot of respect and, um, and are so appreciative of everybody here. So it's very, very cool place to race. And it's a tough course. You know, it's a very honest uh, race for sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's true. That's very good. And yeah, you're right. It's a very tough course to say the, say the least on it. And, and I mean, it must be pretty nice, I guess, you being a Canadian that it's on sort of Canadian soil, but whereabouts in Canada are you from? Yeah, this race really feels like home turf, even though I live uh, several thousand kilometers west of here uh, in Vancouver, BC. So that's where I spend the majority of my year is, uh, is in Vancouver. Awesome. Hey, yeah, it's true. Yeah. You know what? I mean, despite being Canada, like I've never even been to British Columbia. So, I mean, <laughs> that's one of the downfalls of our, our country being so big here. But. It's giant. Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome. And, and you know what? I mean, needless to say, like we just sort of briefly talked about there, uh, your last or your last couple races there. So you were at Ironman Lanzarote. And before that, I guess you were at the, uh, well, I'm going to call it Ironman 7.3 France. I, I still don't know how to pronounce the, the actual <laughs> name of it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you were there and I mean, sort of, I'm sure most people have kind of already heard about it or seen it, but you had that accident there and that was your, uh, that's where you received the DNF. So kind of what went down at that race? Yeah, gosh, you know, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's Ironman 70.3 pay decks. Um, it's an oh, excellent So that's, that's how you pronounce it. It's, it's definitely, <laughs> it's, it's a challenging one to wrap the mouth around. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically I was, I headed to Aix-en-Provence, uh, to do a 70.3 two weeks before Lanzarote and, um, was feeling really great. And I started out having a very, um, solid race, but unfortunately abruptly came to an end when 30 kilometers into the race, the course sort of climbs for the first, uh, 30 K or so, and then, or 25 K and then it, it sort of flattens out. It's, it's quite a rolling uh, and technical course. And I will completely admit that um, the, the crash was totally my own fault. Uh, I didn't know the course um, well enough, and I didn't respect the course. And I came around a turn that I thought was just another little curve. It's after you start, you know, finish all that climbing and go start, uh, start actually getting in the air bars and being able to go fast. And so I was going around this turn at about, 45 to 50 kilometers an hour. Um, didn't realize that the turn, because you can't see going into it, that it's actually a hairpin. And so when I, and so the, just, the turn just kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, and eventually I realized I was going way too fast and I was still in the aero bars and um, ended up going off the side of the road. So um, landed on a, a chain link fence and damaged my, uh, my right elbow pretty badly and ripped it open, um, had to get a bunch of stitches and, uh, got carted off the, in an ambulance to the, um, the local emergency room and got cleaned up and stitched up there. And it was pretty traumatizing in the, and then of course was in Lanzarote for the two weeks, uh, traveled to Lanzarote and was there for the two weeks leading into the race, just sort of healing my arm and doing whatever training I, I could. And, um, and really every single day, like there were just logistical and physical nightmares that I were, was dealing with um, every single day. So it was not the most relaxing two-week lead up to an Ironman. Um, but it, it was what I was, and I persevered. And I was there already in Europe, so I was like, you know what? Lanzarote is quite a supportive place. There's a lot of, um, I can get my 
um, bike fixed or at least, you know, get a replacement to, to use and, and see doctors there and um, heal up as best as I can. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my lead up into Lanzarote. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, needless to say, it's been a, a pretty hectic uh, month or so here for you nonetheless, but. Oh gosh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, all things considering, I mean, it's unfortunate with the DNF and I mean, you still really, I think you were, you sixth place in Montremblant? Uh, yeah, I was, yep. Six, six in Montreal. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, all things considering really good to be six in that, but I know you expect it better. So at, at least I guess looking at the silver lining here, you going into challenge Roth, pretty healthy and I guess hungry to prove yourself that sort of give it all you have. So that's really cool. And we're really looking forward to that. And I want to talk lots about challenge Roth here in a second, but I guess before we get into that, let's just sort of step it back a bit. I mean, I'm sure 99% of the listeners probably know, but they may not know your background, some of them. So I guess why did you sort of get into triathlon to begin with? I know it's sort of a broad question, but take us back briefly and sort of how did you originally get into the sport? And, you know, when did you sort of realize you want to do it full time and become a professional? Sure. I, um, so I spent the majority of my twenties, just not an athlete at all. I quit all sports when I was in high school. And, um, and when I was, I was actually living in Ottawa and doing my master's there and was just like super out of shape and just not feeling really great about myself and decided to run a marathon because uh, that sounded epic. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just started training for in January of 2004, uh, train, started training for the Berlin Marathon. Uh, I uh, ran the Berlin Marathon and ended up um, doing way better than expected, qualified for Boston, uh, wow. ran Boston in 2005 and, um, and didn't have a great race, but, uh, the folks that I, the community that I had tapped into in Ottawa there, um, one of my running mentors, she was just like, you know, I think you could be an elite triathlete. I'd gone on a couple uh, bike rides with her and, um, had started commuting a little bit further than usual on my bike. And, and I kind of took that idea and, just like really ran with it. I think I was hungry for something, um, something interesting in my life to grasp onto. And I uh, moved out to Vancouver where the weather was a little bit more temperate, um, determined that I was going to give this triathlon thing a go. And I did my first race uh, in 2006 in, in Vancouver and um, almost won it which uh, I still remember the woman who beat me, who is a, a local triathlete um, in her 50s, actually, who's been to Kona like countless times, um, an incredible athlete. But uh, that, that, you know, at that point, triathlon just totally took over my life. I absolutely loved it. I had a talent for it. So it was something I was good at. Um, and I quickly raised through, you know, rise, rose through the ranks. Uh, my first Olympic distance race, I was... Um, it was national champs and I ended up winning that. And then 18 months after my first triathlon ever, I was amateur world champion uh, and then went on to race um, uh, a little bit of the ITU Continental Cup series at the time. Uh, and it kind of the rest is history. I did uh, quit triathlon uh, for a couple of years, went back to school and just raced bikes um, while I was in school. And once I was out of school, I actually, my coach encouraged me to try this long distance triathlon thing. And I did my first half iron race, a uh, local one in BC. And I 
did way better than expected. And the time that I pl- that I ran a one uh, or sorry a four twenty two or something that would have put me in the top ten at you know in and at seventy point three worlds. And so I was like, you know what, I I'm not getting any, any younger. I was like thirty two at that time, and I'm like, I'm going to take this as far as I can go. And uh, yeah, the rest is is then history. I just was full. I've been full time since two thousand eleven and living the dream. Swim, bike, run. <laughs> that's it. Full time. Yeah. Well, let's do it. No, that's yeah. amazing. And it, so it's incredible. What blows my mind about the story is that in your 20s, you said you weren't doing anything, you know, athletic, which is, and then to pump out and get a Boston uh, marathon qualifying time in a marathon. <laughs> that's incredible. Like that, that's really cool. And to hear you've done so well, you know, just kind of rising up so quick like that. That's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, it's, it's been, you know, if I look back at it, it's like such a crazy ride. And I feel so lucky to have discovered this talent that I have in myself. Um, And at the same time, it, it's, it has been a little bit of a curse, because just because of my personality type. um, You know, when I first started triathlon, it was like, it was zero to nothing. And what happened is I, I was just like, my body type is not the type that can sustain a lot of training without the adequate adequate recovery and so I struggled throughout my career I've struggled a lot with running injuries I've had five stress fractures in my feet I've had stress fractures in my ribs I've had numerous other things happening that have you know taken me out for up to 13 months at a time so my career has kind of been riddled with these like stop start uh, uh, in stop start and momentum you know in in, in running but uh, I'm learning the hard way <laughs> how to rest more <laughs> and key. how to just take care of my body, you know, when training at this high level. For sure. And no, and you know what? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a nice, a nice thing to hear, I guess, for a lot of, uh, you know, some listeners, you know, some of them are more injury prone because that's sort of like a deterring factor for some, some athletes out there that they feel that there are those kind of people that just get injured more than, than the average triathlete out there. And that might almost prevent them from wanting to sort of keep up with the sport and stuff. So, I mean, it kind of really goes to show, I mean, as bad as a curse it is, like you said, um, and I mean, also taking consideration of the, all the recovery and stuff needed, but it's always kind of good to hear that, you know, everyone really kind of has the opportunity to do it. It just matters like figuring out yourself and figuring out the recovery times and all that. So that it was always kind of nice to hear. So, yeah, and and it's also about I think like understanding, uh, keeping things in perspective. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned through injury is that I've learned a lot about myself and like how to cope with different stressful situations and um, how to how to kind of keep that like greater perspective and realize that like you know to do things like focus on what you can do and what you can, not what you can't do. Um, and to, um, you know, you learn that you are tougher than you think you are when you can persevere through things like that. And you learn to like, not take things as seriously sometimes, you know, like I think sometimes we really get triathlon is a pretty intense sport. And most of the folks that do triathlon, I think are pretty (laughs) intense people. Um, and so it's really taught me to slow down a little bit. Um, and to, to keep, to keep my, um, scope on sort of the big picture of life, um, and especially life outside of triathlon and make sure that my life is really balanced. Awesome. No, that's true. That's, it's really cool. And, and super inspiring to hear things like that. So that, that's great. And, 
And so now, I mean, let's switch it up because I am super excited to talk to you about Challenge Roth now. And I mean, of course, it's being a Canadian triathlon podcast. I'd love to see Canadian names on the, the pro lineup. So that was really cool to see. And, and I mean, I think if I'm correct, this is the first time you're going to be racing a Roth. Is that true? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I was signed up in 2000 and about 15 or 16. I don't remember which, but I was um, not healthy enough to, to race. So I had to pull out from that year, but I'm super excited to be racing there in two weeks. Awesome. Yeah, so true. I mean, just from talking to everyone and kind of looking into the race and so much and kind of watching all the coverage, it's it's just one of those races that'll be sort of like an everlasting memory. And you know, I can't wait to watch the live coverage. And, you know, I mean, obviously to see the Canadian Purple Tiger, as they call it, with the Diamondback bike, you know, sort of break through that crowd going through the Solar Hill. I think that'd be really awesome. So, I mean, have you sort of thought about this uh, ahead of time? Like, is there... Is there certain parts of the race that you, you think about that you're going to be looking forward to the most? Oh, things gosh. Like Hill or things like, you know, the ceremony or anything like that? Yeah, I like, I can't, you can't go to Roth and not be excited about the Solarberg. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's one of those things that there is nothing else like it in the world uh, in triathlon. And, um, and that's, that's pretty awesome. I, I can, a lot of folks have been asking me about, about riding up that hill, how I'm going to be feeling. And I have no idea, like, to, just looking at the photos, it looks quite frightening to be riding <laughs> through that crowd, but I'm sure it'll be really exhilarating to be there. Yeah. And so, I mean, statistically, I know it depends on every race and who, who you're racing with whatnot, but you're one of the, the stronger athletes out there on the, on the bike split. So realistically, I mean, I remember watching the video with Cam Worth, he's ahead and he's kind of breaking through. I mean, realistically, that could be a chance that, that could be you there in a few weeks. So, I mean, that's gonna be really awesome because they're going to have live coverage and stuff. They're going to have the motorcycles recording and everything. So that's gonna be really awesome to see. So we're all looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. That would be so incredible. Yep. Now, is this sort of a course that it's uh, typically known as being more of like a, a flatter course, kind of like an, an easier course, I guess, compared to something say like Mont Tremblant. Now, is that something that might suit you better as an advantage or sort of what kind of uh, courses suit you best? Yeah, I'm usually one who thrives on courses that, um, that are the, the tough uh, courses, especially like hilly bike courses where things are sort of broken up and interesting and where there are lots of long climbs, things like that. Um, there is a little bit of rolling in the Roth course, but of course the whole race is, is known to be the fastest, uh, on the planet. So, you know, I think that, uh, I think that the course is definitely varied enough that it's going to be really interesting and that it'll definitely suit, suit me. Um, the run, you know, has a couple of different shifts in terrain, um, from gravel to cobblestone to pavement. So I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a really, uh, it'll be a great race that, that suits me. Um, and sort of, you know, this, I, I really enjoy those courses that are, are varied and can keep my attention, not those that are, you know, sort of mind numbing and just straight ahead and nothing interesting. And of course the crowd support in, Roth is is like none other so that I think also adds to the excitement of the race and the course and um and having all those folks out there is incredibly motivating exactly for sure I mean I think the count around is typically around 260,000 spectators on average and I think it's just to hear that cheering like that kind of a crowd is is phenomenal so that that's gonna be really cool I'm excited for that now 
obviously you're gonna be heading out here in a few days, I believe. I think if, if that's what I recall, you said, so you're gonna be down there for quite a bit of time, I guess, before the race. So do you sort of have like an itinerary laid out? Like is, have people kind of told you to hit up some certain places down there or the musty experiences or kind of what are your plans uh, going forward from here? Well, I'm definitely going in time to have a bit of a recon on the course. So I'll hope to uh, ride the majority of the course in parts um, and definitely train on the run course. Uh, The other thing that I've heard awesome things about is the pool there in Roth, that uh, it's an outdoor 50-meter pool that just looks pretty cool. So uh, other than that, um, I don't, I don't know much about the town. So um, I'm looking forward to exploring. I I'll be at a homestay right in the, in the middle of town by the, the race site. So yeah, I feel like I'll get to explore a little bit while I recover from Tremblant and, uh, and taper into Roth. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's it. And I guess it's kind of nice having a homestay because I mean, not only are they like just super accommodating for that matter, but like the fact that they're able to kind of help you and maybe guide you in the right directions of, you know, uh, where are some good places to visit or to shop or to eat or anything like that. So that'd be, that'd be really cool for you. So yeah. now I guess after the race, do you plan on staying there a bit and kind of making a little bit of vacation, like a relaxed vacation out of it or do some sightseeing stuff like that? Or are you going to be heading right back, back on the grind in Canada and get back to training? Yeah, I um I'm pretty much heading right back. I think I have maybe one or two days um there in Roth before I head back home. Um this year, yeah, I didn't because I've already been I've already had one longer trip uh, away in Europe for 3 weeks and this will be another 3 week trip away. Um I don't like to be away from home for super long periods of time, so Um, so I didn't plan anything after just like a day or so that I can relax a bit and recover and see any sites that I haven't been able to, or eat any foods that I haven't been able to drink, drink a couple of ice beers. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. No, that's good. I mean, we're all going to be rooting for you down there. I mean, obviously regardless how you do, we want you to enjoy it and obviously make the best memories of it. So, uh, but I mean, nonetheless, we'll still be happy to see you on the podium. So (laughs) (laughs) So that's awesome. And, and I mean, switching up a little bit, let's, uh, kind of look forward to the rest of the season after that. Do you sort of actually, first off, have you claimed your spot to Kona yet or what's your plans going further for racing? Yeah, this year, um, was, was for me, um, more of a focus on those bucket list races that I wanted to check off my list, um, versus qualifying for Kona. I, um, it was kind of like, if I qualify, that's great, but I'm not going to put all, pour all of my season into trying to qualify. Um, and so, really the rest of my season will be determined by how well Roth goes. Um, there, I have sort of plan A and plan B. Um, plan A would be to go back to Tremblant um, for the Ironman and try and qualify for 2019 or um, wait a bit and, uh, and race later in the season um, for a 2020 spot. So we'll see um, what, what, uh, how I feel after Roth, how that race goes and, um, what my gut is telling me that, uh, is the, the best option, but I'm definitely looking forward to a few more races this year, um, before the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. No, that's actually really cool. I, I like to hear that. So, I mean, often people kind of make an A race of either being Roth or Kona. So that, that was really cool to hear. And I know what, I guess kind of bringing it back to what we were just saying earlier, like I'm, I'm glad you're, you're in, you're in a pretty good state, good condition right now for Roth. I know just recently I've heard a, a few 
the the pro athletes kind of have to drop out here and there. So it's kind of unfortunate to hear that when uh, you're getting so close to a big race like that. Right. So, I mean, uh, it kind of worked out that way. And I'm, you know, I'm glad, I think whatever that kind of mentality going into Kona, like whatever happens, happens. If you, if you do it, I think that's a really awesome approach to it. You don't hear that too often. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, I knew that I knew that Roth was, uh, I had decided after Kona last year that Roth was um, my, uh, was on my calendar and I knew that it would, it would take up one of those opportunities for uh, a, a full distance, you know, Ironman, brand qualifying race. And so it was what it was. Uh, and, um, and I'm super excited to be healthy going into Roth. I think that's one of the things, despite all of the adversity that I've had this year already, um, the fact that I am still able to swim, bike, run, um, aside from a few flesh wounds that I've (laughs) gotten (laughs) earlier this year, uh, is, uh, is, you know, I'm so thankful for that. So yeah, hearing about several athletes who have had to pull out of the Roth start list because of, of injury, it it really sucks. And, um, and my heart goes out to all those athletes. It's, we always hope to have the, um, you know, everybody that can be there to race. And, and so that really sucks that, that some folks have had to pull out, but I'm just, I'm so thankful I'm healthy right now. That's it. Yeah, no, it's so true. Eh? That's, that's probably the last thing anyone wants to hear, right? They all kind of, if you're going to race one of the best races in the world, you kind of want to do it with the, with the best of the best too, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You want to think about. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. And, and now, I mean, let's sort of uh, switch it up. And now I figured you'd be an excellent person to talk to about sort of uh, age group training tips. I, I mean, people, uh, the listeners tend to benefit a lot from things like that. So, I mean, I mean, let's sort of kick it off. Keep going with the challenge Roth theme. I mean, um, there's a lot of people. So we've been doing a giveaway on social media and one of the things we've been doing for like a a challenge Roth race entry to 2020. And one of the things we're asking them to do is just sort of leave a comment on like why they love, why they would love to race in Roth. And, you know, the biggest comment we found was that people wanted to do their first full distance in challenge Roth and they thought it'd be an amazing experience. So I mean, that sort of brings up a lot of the question that a lot of people would be asking is how do they sort of change their training from, you know, the typical 70.3 to start training for their first full distance? I mean, any sort of tips on kind of what worked for you or what you can sort of suggest to to people, maybe if they're going to plan on racing their first full distance triathlon next year or something like that, like how to, how to build up to it and do it safely? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, gosh, what uh, for Roth to be the first iron distance race that you do, that really like sets the bar high. It set the bar really <laughs> high, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, every, all other experiences might be a letdown after that one. Um, well, you know, the, the interesting thing was, so I, you know, I raced 70.3s for about six or seven years before I moved up and ever um, did a full distance race. And, um, and it was really interesting making that transition for me moving to twice the distance, I didn't, of course, like there was no doubling of volume or intensity that I was doing in my, in my training. Um, the training differences really went from, um, like a little bit less of on the intensity side, um, and increase in a little bit of those like longer, uh, just like longer rides, longer runs, longer swims. And so the, my, my advice would be, of course, I hope that folks have a coach, 
um, that they're working with who is qualified to help guide them into um, iron distance training or at least following a training plan of some kind. Um, I think it's really easy to do on your own to get, um, you know, one of those um, plans if, because I know obviously personal coaches are super expensive, um, but that's kind of what to expect, I would say, in that lead up would be not in, not a huge increase in volume, um, but more just a, an increase in, in like having a, a few like, you know, of those longer rides, like five or six hour rides. It really depends, I think, on um, on the level of the athlete, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, but just, you're never going to never necessarily going to ride 180 kilometers. You're never going to run 42 kilometers. Um, but, uh, but that you will see that increase in lower intensity, um, longer efforts. And of course, you're not going to, you're not going to expect, um, uh, to do like, you know, every single weekend you're doing like a six hour ride that um, will, in my mind, just makes an athlete, uh, they can go forever, but they can go slowly forever. Um, And so, yeah, I would say the biggest advice would be to don't expect to have a doubling in your training uh, because you're doubling the volume or doubling the race distance and to absolutely get some guidance. in terms of um, training for that distance. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's actually really good advice. I'm glad you touched on a lot of that because that's true. I think a lot of people would naturally think you're doing twice distance. So, I mean, spend twice the amount of time, you know, doing your swim, bike and run. So that's always good to hear, right? And I think making those sort of changes from the intensity levels into, you know, kind of making your, your rides a little bit longer. But the, the key point is that they're not necessarily going to have to do the 180 kilometer rides or do a 42 kilometer you know, training run. And I think that's, I think that's a big kind of eye opener for a lot of people when they hear that. So like you said, going to a coach or something would be, you know, a great option if, if you're able to afford it or at least, you know, mm-hmm. like follow a training plan of some sort. Right. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's really good. And I mean, for all those people uh, who are listening that, I mean, have no intentions of doing or weren't planning on doing the full jumping up to a full, I mean, it's still, I like what you said there that you said you spent several years doing 70.3s before ever jumping to a full, like, and I think that's something also people should consider if, if, uh, you know, if they're not ready for it, if they don't feel like they, they want to make the jump, then there's no rush because they're, you can be perfectly fine spending your whole career in triathlon doing, you know, Olympic distance or 70.3s. It's kind of whatever suits you as a, as an athlete. So that, that's really cool. That's good advice. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, you know, Ironman is not the be all and end all of, of triathlon. Like it is only when I first started triathlon, I thought Ironman was crazy. I thought that distance was insane. I was like, there's no way I would ever do something like that. And, you know, obviously I changed my mind, Um, (laughs) but, but some people don't. And I think that in the, in the community or like in the general public, you know, when they hear people hear about triathlon or they hear your, you do, you know, race triathlon, they're like, Oh, do you do Ironman? Or, and, you know, I don't think that, it's the same with running, you know, people are like, Oh, have you run a marathon? No, only a half marathon or only a <laughs> 70.3 or only an Olympic distance or only a sprint. And I think, you know, this any triathlon is amazing. The fact that folks are out there, you know, it, yeah, you don't, you don't have to do an Ironman to, to be a triathlete. Um, just the, the fact that everybody's out there uh, and, you know, it's such an incredible supportive community. That's one thing that I absolutely love about triathlon, but yeah, just have the, co- if you don't want to do Ironman, don't do Ironman and have the confidence in that to be like, yeah, it's not for me. No. 
Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, it's so true. You just, yeah, you said it perfectly. That's, that's good. I think that'll probably be refreshing to hear for a lot of people who are kind of nervous to, to want to move up to that distance. So yeah, <laughs> excellent. So now, I mean, when you do your training for the most part, um, I know everyone's very different on it, but do you, are you kind of one that swears by like heart rate zone training or do you, do you base it off sort of perceived effort or wattage or sort of what's your kind of, uh, how do you decide what your training intensity levels are and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So every um, for every sport, I use different metrics. F- swimming, it's all it's very much on perceived effort. Um, and in the pool, of course, I'll look at my times, you know, per hundred meter or whatever for what I'm at, whatever I'm swimming um, at different effort levels. But that's one of the biggest things that I have learned in the past two years through working with Tower Twenty Six. Actually, is like is just understanding that perceived effort um, and uh, and being able to um, pace off of that. Uh, for bike, uh, once I started using a power meter, um, I found that that I use that a lot in training. I won't I still go very, very much on perceived effort. I am I am not necessarily looking at my power meter while I'm doing intervals or things like that. Um, I go on perceived effort and I'll look at the data afterwards. And uh, there are certain workouts that, especially if I'm on the trainer, um, then that I'll keep an eye on power and try and you know stay at certain wattages. But uh, uh, and when I race Ironman, um, I do look at power quite a bit um, just to keep things in you know not too hard usually. Um, but yeah, on the bike, I, I also use power, but also perceived effort. And then on the run, um, I'm also looking mostly at pacing. Um, I'll look a little bit at heart rate, but I, I struggle to find heart rate monitors that actually work properly. So, (laughs) um, so I do, you know, a lot of my training is on perceived effort and I'll look at, at pace times afterwards, um, that sort of thing. So I, I am very much an advocate for um, racing on per, or for training on perceived effort because you never know what's going to happen in the race. You always know that you'd be able to like feel your body and how hard you're going, but your computer might die. Your watch might not be working properly. There might be no GPS signal for you to get pace times or whatever. And so I think it's really, really important as an athlete to be super mindful of, of your training and what your body is feeling like in training so that when it comes to race day, you don't necessarily need to depend on, on any of the gadgets that we have. And it also like, perceived effort is free. It doesn't cost anything that, that makes it really accessible. Um, in terms of like, you don't, you don't need to spend all of this money on all the equipment. Um, even though it's great to have if you can afford it, but it's not something that's super necessary for, for triathlon. That's right. And you know what, being, you know, triathletes, uh, that's the one unfortunate thing I could say about our sport is it's a really expensive sport or it can be. So, I mean, it ways to kind of cut down on the cost. So it's perfect. And <laughs> that's funny, you know, as you're saying, I was just picturing trying to do a race without, you know, look at my watch or something that would be, uh, it'd be very challenging. So, I mean, that's where I guess, you know, perceived effort comes in handy because all it takes that one day you didn't charge it before the race or something. And, and like you said, there you go. Now you're, you're running without your data. So perceived effort was a really good way. It's a safe way to do it for sure. And, and now, obviously you doing a lot of the Ironman distance perceived effort. How do you sort of, I guess you obviously found it just in, in your training, like um, what kind of works for you, you know, a steady pace and, 
Because I think a lot of the people would struggle with that they feel they're they're going too slow, too early, so they want to pick it up. But then they, by the time they realize they've kind of went too fast, it's already too late, right? So you do find sort of you mentioned on the bike, you do a little bit of wattage as well, so you kind of keep track and and you kind of know your limits. Is that how it works for you? Yeah, you know, I feel like Ironman is um, racing in general. Actually, I'm not like any race that I do. Uh, is a learning experience. Even after all these years, every single race is different and it's never predictable. And um, uh, I feel like, yeah, I am still learning at every race that, uh, of course, on for Ironman, I, I know the wattage that I'm, that I would like to average on the bike and so I'll pay attention to, to that and make sure that, yeah, especially at the beginning, I'm not going too hard um, because it's really perceived effort, of course, of something is it may be quite low at the beginning, but you're, but you're riding way too hard for what you could actually hold for 180 kilometers. I don't, I cannot claim to have it figured out. Um, my one take actually from my race in Lanzarote is that, um, you know, my run coach, Lisa Bentley was like, okay, take the first half of the marathon and just run, uh, you know, easy, what feels easy. Uh, it should feel easy. And then, you know, the last, the, 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 third quarter of it, pick it up a little, you know, it should feel a little bit harder, pick it up and then race yourself on that last, the, the, the final quarter. And I, in Lanzarote, I had one of the most consistently paced Ironman's uh, runs ever. Like it was very consistent throughout the whole uh, race and which was great, but it was not nearly as fast as what I would, what I had been running in training um, and hoped that I would run on the day. And one of the biggest takeaways that I realized was that easy pace, quote unquote, easy pace that I was running when I first started probably was too easy. And um, that I literally just needed to try and run faster. <laughs> um, and that easy should like be a little bit less easy than I thought it was supposed to feel. And so I'm still trying to figure out um, that whole pacing. This is like a new theory that I'm going to be putting into place into Roth is just uh, <laughs> to just run a little bit harder <laughs> um, and see how that works. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes you have races where you, um, I, I don't think, I think it's harder in iron distance, but for half iron or, or, um, or shorter, to um, just kind of go out there and like see what you can do, just sort of throw caution to the wind sometimes and um, just go out there and, and like give it your all and see. And it's like, if I, you know, in Tremblant was what my focus was. I'm like, you know what, if I, if I blow up on the run, I'm going to go out, I'm going to run hard. If I blow up on the run, I blow up on the run. And that's, that's just what happens. I want to figure out where my limits are. And sometimes you will really surprise yourself as to what you can actually do. And I know that I've been in, in a number of races where, you know, I've just, I maybe have been caught up in the competition um, and gone a little bit harder than I had anticipated and had incredible races where I just, I, you know, I couldn't believe how fast I went. And it's like, okay, that's my new limit. That's my new threshold. 
Um, and so it changes your perspective on, on future racing. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear that. That's amazing to kind of hear your thought process behind it all. And, and you know, that's good. You know, a lot of people, it's not necessarily down to science, right? Like it's always kind of an evolving sort of thing for you. And like you said, what your mindset was going into the Montremblant and Lanzarote and then the Roth, it, it sort of changes each time. So that that's good. It's good to see. And, and that kind of helps guide people as well too, right? Just sort of find your, find your limits and, and uh, test yourself on it. Cause that that's perfect. Really yeah. good advice. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I would say is that sometimes, you know, we get out on course um, in different legs of the race and things just don't, you know, you, you have some races that, that are amazing and some races that are, are, you know, you're just not feeling it that day or your body's just not responding. And that totally happens. And sometimes that's a complete mystery and we have no idea why that happens. Um, I think for women in particular, of course, we have hormonal cycles that are going to affect um, how things feel at different times in those hormonal cycles. But it's really hard to predict um, everyone individually as to like how you're going to feel. And so if things for some reason don't go right in a race, like, there, you may be able to figure out the reason, but, but, you know, it may actually just be a mystery and to not put a whole lot of stock into it. Um, I think you have to kind of keep that, that perspective and that, that like bigger picture in there. And the same thing with Ironman, I'm sure so many folks who um, have done Ironman know exactly what I'm talking about is that the whole race is a roller coaster. You will not go through part of that race and probably sh- the, of shorter distance races as well, where um, uh, for me in particular, it's like at some point I'm going to not want to be racing anymore. At some point my brain tells me this, this hurts too much. I just want to stop. And I used to think something was wrong with me because I had those thoughts, but I realized it's perfectly normal um, and especially the longer the race, the more the roller coaster. And so you can have those super low lows. But uh, if you just keep moving forward, sometimes, hopefully, usually it, you, uh, you snap out of it and, and you get back on the, the, the upswing of that, that roller coaster. So to, for a lot of folks, I think some, some good advice is to just hang in there for those longer races. Just keep moving forward no matter what you feel like. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I love that. Like you said, highlight that it's, it's a roller coaster. So if you kind of experience one of those lows that just keep on pushing through, right? Like it's, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel better. <laughs> Hopefully you're going to feel better <laughs> the rest yeah. of the race. So at some point, so that's, that's good to hear. And it's oh. totally normal. It's so normal for your body to be saying, no, this sucks. I don't want you to do it anymore. It's trying to protect you, but it protects you like way too early for, uh, you know, if something's actually going wrong with you. Yeah. Um, of course, if like the medics are by you and there's something seriously wrong, then you, you want to <laughs> yeah, stop. That's but, true. Yeah. But you know, uh, the majority of the time, like it's something to anticipate in the race that this is super normal to have negative thoughts like that. Awesome. Excellent. No, that's really good advice. And that's perfect. And I mean, let's sort of switch over to your nutrition now. I, I mm. like to find out about the on-course nutrition now. I know that's one thing that a lot of amateur and age group triathletes sort of struggle with, just uh, the, the concept of it overall, you know, keeping that hydration balance with the, you know, what they need to fuel up on with nutrition stuff. So, I mean, what are some tips? First off, I guess, sort of what's your strategy look like? Um, and does it change a lot from the 70.3 to a full? And sort of how what are your sort of metrics to, to go by that you might be able to help others with? Sure. Um, 
The, you know, iron, iron distance, uh, nutrition is always a learning process. And, um, you know, it, I think for some folks, they, they find their formula and they nail it and it's great and it works for them every time. And for some other folks, it's like something that works in one race may not work in the next race and may really depend on, um, you know, temperature and, uh, uh, race conditions and things like that. But for myself, I feel like, um, for 70.3, I have my nutrition pretty dialed, uh, just from doing it so long. Um, my basic strategy is I have, um, the equivalent, I have a gel basically before the swim. And then, um, on the bike, I have a bottle an hour of some kind of fluid, uh, I'm using noon hydration that gives me, um, about 90 kilometers, uh, nine, sorry, six, 60 calories per 500 mils. Uh, and then I take in somewhere between six to the equivalent of six to seven gels. Um, and then on the run, I have about four gels. I have water at every aid station. Um, and these days I've been finishing off the last 10 K with Coke, um, the magical juice. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, I'll, I'll have a little bit of caffeine in there as well. I'll have a little bit of caffeine on the bike. Um, and, uh, and then some with the, uh, with the Coke, of course, for iron distance, honestly, I'm still trying to get that dialed. Um, cause I find that in every race, it's a little bit different. Um, right now I use, I start off the same, so I'll have a gel right before the swim. And then, um, on the bike again, I'm doing a bottle of noon an hour. Um, a little bit more if it's a hot race, I have a pretty high sweat rate. And I think that's one thing that's really important to test in training, um, is to measure your sweat rate. Um, it's really easy to do. Um, you can look it up on the, on the internet, but basically you just literally measure the amount of water loss that you have from the beginning of a, um, workout, uh, to the end of a workout um, to calculate how many liters per hour you're losing. And so that's what you need to be replacing. And so a bottle of noon an hour and my current nutrition is a combination of, um, along with the noon, I will take in the first half of the bike. Uh, I actually fuel with maple syrup. Um, I find it super palatable and it really agrees with my stomach. And then um, the second half of the bike I'm fueling with um, first endurance gel. And then I will do the same on the, on the run, basically just first endurance uh, and Coke when, when my body feels it or when my stomach can't take any more gels, that sort of thing, water at every aid station. That's um, pretty much the nutrition protocol that I'm going with now. Um, yeah. I really like the, the noon hydration um, coupled with the maple syrup, um, to me, yeah, maple syrup was just, uh, I don't know. I, I really, really like it. And it's usually a lot cheaper than, um, buying gels also. Um, and I just put it in flasks or I put it in actually in a bottle that I keep on my bike. Um, and though, though the one advice, if people are using maple syrup that I would not use it on the run, because when you, shake maple syrup it turns into a foam and uh 
in your flask, but also in your stomach <laughs> and uh, foam in your stomach is, is not <laughs> fun. It, it comes up and it's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know what? I'm sure it's probably a lot to do with you being Canadian that you, uh, you take the maple syrup so much. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. that's good. That's actually a good piece of advice on the run. That's, uh, you know, something I never really thought about yet, but it makes total sense. I can easily see that. Yeah. And I, and I figured this out in training. I think that's the, the biggest thing. Thankfully I didn't figure it out on, uh, on, in a race, but I, um, I was practicing my nutrition and training, which I think is really, really important. Even if you're not, of course, you're not going to be doing like an actual race uh, in training, but on some of those longer brick days too, really, really like practice that nutrition, like doing your race day breakfast, um, even the night before doing what you typically would eat and then morning of and, uh, and practicing that nutrition of what you plan to take on the bike and, and then on the run, I think is super, super important. Awesome. No, that's perfect. I, I really appreciate they gave a ton of advice there as far as it goes for nutrition and, and a lot of training. So that was really cool. So uh, thanks so much for all that. And I mean, obviously I'd, I'd keep going asking questions all day, but um, <laughs> I don't want to keep you here too much longer, but what we will do if you're up for it, we'll do sort of like a, a one minute Q and a fire round. So we'll see how many questions we can get in in one minute and okay. short answer if you're up for it. All right, go for it. All right. So I'm just going to start the timer here. Lightning round. I love it. it. All right. So starting now. So favorite race distance, uh, Ironman. Well, now what's your go-to pre-race breakfast? Uh, smoothie with field work, nutrition, papaya, banana, and almond milk. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. The, uh, favorite race that you've ever done so far overall, if you have one. Uh, wildflower. Oh, cool. And, uh, What's one of the most beautiful places you got to travel to in triathlon? New Zealand. Oh, I would go back there in a heartbeat. Excellent. That seems like the most common one. That's the, that's the go-to place. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, who are your or were your biggest influences in triathlon? Um, Carolyn Montgomery, actually. Um, she was uh, Carolyn Montgomery. I believe that I got, I'm, this is horrible that I'm blanking on her, but I th I'm pretty sure that's who it was. Who was an, she was an Olympian when I first started and she was like, she, we're about the same age. And so she was like in her early thirties and going to the Olympics. And I was just like, if she can do it, I can do it. And awesome. um, yeah, that's definitely one of my, one of my uh, idols in the sport. Awesome. No, that's true. That's good. Hopefully that was her. Cause you're right. Hey, it's, I it's know. All, that's, that's all that matters, right? It's that, what, what influenced you? So that's perfect. Yeah. 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 And so over the time, I just want to ask these, these last two questions. Now, do you use Zwift or have you ever considered any Zwift racing? Uh, I don't use Zwift. Um, I, I like riding outside too much. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, no, that valid reason. That's a valid point right there. Yeah. And last one, I guess, looking ahead to your next race here in Challenge Roth, is there one thing that you're most excited about or something that stands out most when you think about Challenge Roth itself? The um, finish line party. Awesome. Yeah. I've heard this party. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about that party. So I don't blame you on that. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, that's wrap. Obviously, like I said, we'll keep going all day, but, uh, won't keep you here any longer. And I mean, let's uh, wrap it up with uh, who are your sponsors and, and sort of any training partners or coaches that you want to sort of give a shout out to. Yeah, sure. Um, so my major sponsors that I've been working with, with for um, several years now are Wadi Inc. Um, for my race clothing and custom race suits, Diamondback for incredible bikes, 
Um, Noon Hydration for me is new this year and just an incredible company that is uh, um, creating um, women-centered products and also um, is just incredibly supportive of women in sport. Um, Compressed Sport Canada I've been working with for years. Topo are are game-changer shoes for me um, that have kept me healthy. And um, uh, I'd have to give a shout out to Blue 70 as well, who I've been working with for a long time. Um, one other, some other folks, Pioneer um, Power Meters, um, Lake Shoes, Ceramic Speed, uh, Zelios, Wahoo, uh, Night Wheels, and an incredible Vancouver-based um, uh, functional movement and natural movement place that I've been working at, working with for strength training is called Restore Human. Um, so yeah, those would be my shout outs. Awesome. No, that's very good. As it, it, one thing I love to hear most is, you know, to hear the sponsors and relationships with the, with the athletes. Cause uh, you know, like you said, this is sort of like your full-time job, right? And like you, you help them, they help you. I think that's perfect. It kind of makes the sport what it is. So I always love to hear athletes to stick with the sponsors for so many years and stuff like that kind of stuff's awesome to hear. So that's very yeah. good. Cool. And awesome. And lastly, I guess, uh, so who, those who don't already follow you on their social media, where's the best place that they can get your content, uh, Instagram or website or yeah, Instagram is uh, is where I spend most of my time. Um, I'm at Rachel McBee. Um, super simple. Uh, I've got a page on Facebook as well as Rachel McBride Professional Triathlete um, that I post stuff to. And um, you can always find updates to um, my sponsors and season uh, and race results on my website, rachelmcbride.com. Awesome. That's great. And obviously, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. We're all wishing you nothing but the best. And myself, along with all the other Canadians out there, will be cheering you on as we watch you on the the live stream in Germany. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I hope to put on a good show there (laughs) (laughs) and represent Canada well. There you go. Excellent. And I mean, sorry, for those who don't know, I guess I I should mention that uh, the Challenge Roth, it will be available for live stream, I guess, um, not only in German, but also in English this year. So it, that's super exciting. So again, that's on July 7th, and that'll be 6.15 Central European time, I think. So I guess you can find that right on their website, which is uh, the challenge-roth.com. So I mean, everyone, hopefully, if you guys tune in and watch that, I, I definitely will be. So um, definitely cheer on your your local triathletes. So that'd be perfect. But other awesome. than that, just want to point that out to everyone. And thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll keep in touch and have you back on again sometime. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Perfect. All right. Take care now. Bye. Well, guys, there you have it. Rachel McBride is truly an inspirational role model in triathlon, and she's a wealth of knowledge. I'm so glad we were able to have her on today's show. Now, if you want to hear more podcasts like these, then hit that subscribe button, and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing, and you can also check us out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And as always, I'd like to offer you guys some exclusive discounts to a few great brands I'm an ambassador for. But now due to the ambassador policies, I can't just post these codes on public platforms. So in saying that, if you do go to my Instagram page, and again, that's at pacing.and.racing, and click the link in the bio, sign up for that email list. I send all the email subscribers an email with 25 to 60% off some great companies. And lastly, guys, if you did like this episode, just please take two minutes to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this episode gets get heard by more listeners through the podcast platform algorithms. Other than that, guys, thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.